Hello and welcome back to Sexonomic. This week I have a special guest with me. I'm here at Dean Street in Soho in London and I am joined by Dr. Frankie today. Is it Francis or Frankie you prefer? I'm happy with either. Most people call me Frankie, I don't mind. So Francis is like your Sunday name. Yes, exactly that, <laughs> exactly that. So welcome to the podcast. If you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the work you do here at Dean Street. So um, yeah, my name's Frankie. I'm one of the consultant doctors um, based in Dean Street Clinic in Soho. Thank you for that intro. Um, I specialise in a medical specialty called genitourinary medicine, but it basically encompasses sexual health, HIV, contraception, and I also do some work within the gender dysphoria um, trans and non-binary service as well. So yeah, we have a really busy clinic actually. It's one of the busiest ones in Europe, but never a boring day really. It's quite, um, I enjoy my work, obviously I'm massively biased, but it's good work. We see people come from all walks of life with all different things going on as well. So it's um, yeah, to be quite personable in this job, but you learn a lot about people as well. So yeah, that's my work really. Soho has such a wide and extensive um, history behind like sex work and people in London I suppose it's very central so you see all different kinds of problems and things and yeah absolutely so I guess yeah Soho is um you know the red light district for all intents and purposes so we do have clinics in Chelsea and Hammersmith and also in uh, West London attached to West Middlesex so within our kind of service we've got like different satellite services and we all see different demographics of people from all around London and all of them but I suppose in this one um, just because of the geography of where we are we see um, yeah a lot of people who um, come from all walks of life we see lots of people who do sex work um, all different sexualities or different gender identities and also just I suppose location wise because um, people can just get on the Elizabeth line or the Piccadilly line straight from the airport then we see a lot of people who are here on holidays and just kind of want a ch- quick checkup or some sexual health advice especially when they might come from parts of the world where they feel a bit less comfortable to do that so we um, see people like sometimes for the rest of their life and some people just as a one-off here and there um, so yeah, always changeable okay amazing and gender studies master how do you decide to go into that what is it all about so not everyone does like masters or phds or anything yeah. you know in this field but a lot of people do i suppose it depends on your research interests um actually a really good friend of mine who's a consultant in east london was i was just talking to them about um what they were doing i think we, we were both kind of in our trainee years but they, they were finishing their year above me so they were like oh i'm thinking about doing a master's and they were just going to do this really interesting one in um, it's called post-colonial studies and it's kind of looking at kind of like the intersections of like people from different ethnicities and backgrounds and how colonization has kind of shaped their experience and linking that to lots of different things and I was like oh my god that sounds fascinating like I would just totally <laughs> read that and so I was looking through some of the other options at the university that they were going to do theirs at and I came across gender studies and a lot of my research and kind of interests and focus in my work is about health inequalities um, based on gender definitely based on uh, racial background based on um, gender, ident- uh, gender identity as well as kind of 
um, the kind of classic feminist lens um, and then um, also on sexuality as well and I was like gosh like learning kind of a really different perspective rather than what we kind of do as doctors which is just like graphs and numbers mm-hmm. like learning more about kind of the social side kind of like the history side or like studying people getting like more kind of qualitative kind of actual experiences in my research would be like a, a challenge for me but also like I felt would be like really inform my work ongoing so I can kind of have like a different perspective rather than being like the graph says you're okay or you're not do you know what I mean not to be like reductionist about kind of all the work we do in in the kind of more pure science field but I thought it'd be good to kind of be able to bring those two things in so um my research kind of within that master's was about looking at the experience of migration on gender identity and how that kind of links with healthcare um especially gender affirming healthcare within the UK um, and like people's experiences of that as well so I've literally just finished it um, last Friday well done. so I don't know if I've <laughs> like written a load of rubbish or if it's good but I've done it now so hopefully it's not rubbish but yeah sorry long answer but that's that's what got me into that no it's it's interesting because obviously you work on the front line here you know you're seeing patients and a multitude of problems do you think having that master's and maybe not just so much going through um, a doctor's qualification. It gives you an element to humanise and connect with them, as I said, on the social rather than just the clinical and what the data says. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, you know, um, so myself and some colleagues, we, uh, we've we formed this group under um, basically our, our national kind of like um, body for sexual health is called BASH, like the British Association mm-hmm. of Sexual Health. And they have like subgroups with specialist interests. And myself and some colleagues have made a subgroup just looking specifically at like health inequalities based on race. Um, just so we can like do a focus on that because, um, you know, I think in pretty much all fields of medicine, um, but unfortunately not, you know, excluding mine, um, there are like different outcomes and, and different from different people from different ethnicities have poorer outcomes in some fields, sometimes in about um, like actual acquisition of STIs, but also sometimes sexual assault, like contraception uptake, um, new HIV diagnosis. And we see these graphs every year. So it's kind of like we feel and I definitely feel important to not just be like this is happening because I think we kind of already know it's happening but it's about like giving people who it directly affects a platform to voice what their experiences are so we can kind of make meaningful changes and interventions rather than being like we know that you don't trust healthcare or we know that you're having a poor outcome we kind of that's already done it's kind of like what do we do about it so I personally find it interesting um it's been a challenge like I said because I've had to kind of rethink how my brain works and get away from numbers um but I think I've personally found it interesting to kind of have a different like you say kind of like humanized level um to inform my research ongoing um when it comes to things like that so yeah I found it hard but good (laughs) I think especially um when you look at sexual health it's so often stigmatized Mm. and I think that what you said and working with minorities is a really great um, angle because those people aren't represented but what kind of injustices are we seeing in that space and what's going on there I think it's it's um yeah that's a big question there are like so if we're kind of going back to I suppose my comfort zone of like numbers and graphs and everything there are there is a higher prevalence of um, sexual infections in particular gonorrhea um, in um, 
people with black ethnicities to the point where it's kind of broken down into like black african black caribbean black other all these other groups and then um in kind of south asian communities there is um increases um even though the numbers are actually not massive there are increases in those infections um they're certainly not not decreasing or stabilizing so despite interventions and how we feel like we're here and you know there's buses being like go get tested and there's home test kits and whatever we're, we're doing there is a lot of work there but it's about actually going into communities and being like well what would you need um to kind of come in and get tested because like I said there's sometimes mistrust in healthcare some people um have like um already kind of um cultural ideas about religious spaces yes it can be religious it can be like um just based on culture it can be based on like health beliefs it can be based on all kinds of things so even kind of walking into this building can be quite a symbolic thing for some people um and it's kind of in some ways admitting that they're sexually active which they may be um, only telling us in this one space and not kind of in other spaces of their lives so um, there's a lot of things to deconstruct there and so I think it kind of needs to be like culturally literate but also thinking about people's um, generational beliefs so about their age about their sexuality about their relationship with that um, and about um, kind of trying to be as open and accommodating and flexible as we can and that is one of the things I love about where I work is that we you know we we serve a, a lot of people um, but we're always quite happy to be like changing and evolving to people's needs so you know um, last year there was this big outbreak of an infection called monkeypox and so even though we were like oh look we're trying to bounce back after covid and get back everything you know reinstated because a lot of us were kind of in the hospital and doing different things in covid so we're trying to get our service back to how it was and it's like well this has happened and it's like well we have to shift and we have to adapt we have to get vaccinations we have to get public health messages out there whatever so kind of whatever the patients need we try and adapt to that as quickly as we can rather than saying well what we're doing is brilliant let's just keep doing it let you know we try and change to what actual people's voices are asking for so um yeah so i think it's well it's good to be informed by actual people and i think like destigmatizing sexual health as well um like in my personal journey i think like a lot of like what i would see my peers facing is kind of let's say they walked into a sexual health clinic and their parents saw them or you know someone they know saw you, you I think it's wrong that you would instantly feel shame for that completely if I was walking into a GP and saying oh yeah um I've had this infection uh in my throat like I've, I've got a throat infection you know there wouldn't be that judgment there but because it's your sexual health and you dare to go into a place and admit that you're participating in the sexual economy that we all participate in there's this shame and i can't imagine with those minority groups of unworking years of kind of mistrust and you know any kind of dogma or religion or stuff on that because as a white woman i already feel it so i can only imagine what someone else feels you know it's it's so heavy absolutely and it can go really deep and there's other like intersections to consider because sometimes there's language barrier sometimes like you know we'll book a translator for people because we're always we have we're lucky to have a phone service but we can also get in-person people and sometimes people are like worry oh are they from my community are they from my church and so as much as we're trying to facilitate things there can also be added 
um, anxiety about people kind of thinking like someone's got something similar with me, you know, something in common with me, or do they know my uncle? Do they know my family? So there's all these other layers to kind of unpick. Um, and you're right, even just within you know UK culture and society, there's already ridiculous amounts of stigma. I mean, I think you know sex education is a little bit better now in schools than it was but it still needs to do some work but definitely when I was in school it's kind of like um here's a condom here's how you put it on like a banana or something did you get that I got the go. cucumber okay <laughs> we I think we just had like yeah potential like a variety of fruit and veg and then just put it on but there was nothing about consent there was nothing about pleasure yeah there was nothing about different sexualities I think it was basically that and then a video of like a woman giving birth which um, as you know, whatever I was, a twelve or thirteen year old acted like contraception. Before, that is but, the best birth but that control. Was <laughs> but that was that was um, pretty much it. And then you kind of weren't really. You kind of go out ill-equipped. And then kind of who do you ask where you feel comfortable and who do you feel you can ask like questions that you might think are silly, which like or there is no such porn. thing. Yeah, well. it's porn, and exactly, yeah. and, and that's like the reference for a lot of people, and therefore you know that that in itself can I think if people have a perspective where they're like I'm watching this for a specific purpose and kind of can put that um, can put that in like perspective, then it can be a really absolutely fine and healthy thing to do but I think it's when people feel they can't ask other people or have like information about kind of um encounters with people that they might have and that's the only thing that's centered then it can be like put people off a little bit off balance so it's about kind of like using porn as a tool rather than your only reference for sexual health um and of, of course there's so much variety in porn so some porn will like people will have conversations and people will check that they're okay throughout but yeah a lot of porn doesn't have that and then so do people bring that into their their actual sex life so i think you know porn absolutely has a real really important place in a lot of people's lives but also it's about us being given those tools in the beginning so we can kind of if we were taught a bit better at school then i feel we could kind of like be like well that's kind of like the equivalent of watching like a superhero film rather than my day-to-day <laughs> life do you mean like that's not eastenders that's like marvel you know yeah. so like that kind of thing so yeah but of course it of course it completely depends on the porn so um yeah so i think you know we're built to stigmatize it internally from a very young age we don't talk about these things um openly and people bring that in when they walk into this space and when they walk in so even like a lot of people who've kind of gone on a journey and can be really comfortable with their like their sex life with pleasure and they can be you know activists on that front it still often takes a real journey for them to get to that space as well so we have to be very mindful of that in this space and we try and specifically try and not be too um, intimidating so instead of having like a sexual health clinic that's kind of hidden at the back of a hospital and it's like you know oh who's going to see me coming in out we're like right here on the main road yeah. people walking in and out the clinics are like got kind of like i know it sounds silly but they've got like comfortable chairs there's music in the background it's kind of not meant to be too super super clinical it's not um, seedy it's not exactly mm. it's like a, a big open comfortable space you're welcomed um we dress a little bit more casually um and we kind of like try and like most of us go on first name basis so i'd be like oh hi i'm frankie and the doctor's gonna see you today rather than making um all of those kind of like reinforcing those um healthcare kind of like narratives that some people might feel like oh there's a big scary doctor i've got to talk to i mean i'm only five foot three i'm not big but you know there's um some people come in with a lot of tension so mm-hmm. we try and relieve that tension by being people and being personable as much as as much as we're able to and then getting 
to address what they need mm-hmm. as well yeah i think as well my question is when we look at the education going on school do you think if that was more in the vein as you just described it we're kind of looking at different sexualities we're looking at different ways of pleasure i'm not necessarily speaking about you know at the earliest age like at a later age Mm. and more about consent more about the social aspects of having sex do you think that would make your job here a lot easier and we would see less rates of stds or sexual violence or those kinds of things i i actually really really do i do i think if it was kind of talked about and then a slightly more normalized thing then i think people would one know when they would feel more comfortable to get help when they needed it um i think sometimes definitely we see things that have happened that are unconsensual and sometimes i myself or one of my colleagues has to be the person to tell that person you know what happened she wasn't right because they haven't actually even had that awareness that it was mm-hmm. kind of like a you know it was an assault or it was what something that someone did to them was wrong because they kind of thought oh that's what's always happened or that's what's normalized or for them and they they've not even realized that actually what's happened to them is not right to them you know and so. then if there's an infection it's almost like a double trauma exactly i think it's one of those things of like people are going majority of people not everyone but most people are going to have sex of some form or have sexual encounters in their life so you can give them the tools to make sure that they have it on their terms in a way that serves them in a way that's comfortable for them and their partner and is an enjoyable pleasurable experience or you can ignore that it's going to happen and then they go out unprepared right so i feel like the more information you give and certainly that's what we in this clinic sometimes you know someone hasn't really even spoken to anyone like i said that they've had sex before of any age or that they've had sex with someone of a particular gender or that anything else has happened so speaking to us like some of it is like yes here's your chlamydia test and off you go but a lot of it is actually just giving them that space to be like there's no judgment here ask whatever questions you want and that will hopefully at least set them on a journey where they can be prepared for other encounters in the future so it's not just a quick here's your test and you're done you haven't got chlamydia or you do here's your antibiotics it's kind of like empowering people to um reflect on their own sexuality and their own sex life and what they want from it and their sexual well-being so we have health advisors here we have like a psychosexual clinic we have like um yeah so many members of of staff we've got clinical psychologists here so we can sometimes deconstruct some of those things so it's not just like oh you've come in for chlamydia five times um here's your antibiotics and off you go it's sometimes having a discussion with someone that's like well why are you getting chlamydia so much and is something happening are you comfortable with it because you know we're going to give we're going to give you treatment that's fine i'm glad you're coming in to be tested but is there something happening where we can give you some information that might protect you from getting it again or might get it from getting it you know as frequently what is actually underpinning the fact that you're getting infections so much so it's kind of um is looking at the whole the holistic kind of approach to things exactly and i think if we start that earlier sorry going back to your question if we started that right in school where people are asking those questions to themselves and have those tools and have a bit more of that knowledge i feel that would empower them to feel comfortable you know seeking advice and coming into buildings like this later on i think a lot of people listening to this they'll think back to their own journey of when they probably entered the late end of primary school or high school when they had the sexual education because we had a very brief one at the end of primary school i think that's more of the textbook thing of 
this is the birds this is the bees this is what they do and that's yeah. how you get that completely <laughs> um but with that kind of stuff what would you say to parents who are maybe apprehensive of oh I don't know if I want my child to learn all of that stuff in school or you know maybe I'm meant to teach that stuff my answer would be you're not going to teach them everything they want to know because you're not an expert unless you're Dr Frankie working at Dean Street you're not going to know all of it (laughs) Um, but that would be my answer of let's learn about all these different things and trust that your child can make an informed decision Um, but what would you say to those people who are maybe apprehensive of teaching their children about this stuff because they think it gives them the keys to um i suppose going crazy and having lots of sex and getting lots of stds sure i mean i don't think i mean i don't have any research or the other about this to give you numbers but i don't think anyone has had sex on the basis of i was taught sex at school yeah do you mean like i mean or definitely that's not the majority of people's experience and story so i think sex for not everyone like i said but for a lot of people for a big majority of people is something that's going to factor in their life at some point um and so they they can go into that having no resources or protective factors or they can go into that kind of knowing at least a little bit about what to do if if something goes wrong or um even about just having sex that serves them and is pleasurable to them so Mm. i know of course you know it depends on the parent child relationship right and i'm sure some parents feel really uncomfortable talking about sex maybe maybe in their own sex life with friends and some people are really open and so it comes like with a real variety of things but i think at least providing um some information or allowing other people to provide information whether in schools or just pointing kids to resources and just being kind of that open door being like come and ask me if you have any questions or if any if you have any problems you can come to me is a much more um a safe way for that child kind of long term so if they feel they have people they can speak to it then they're probably you know you know hopefully nothing bad would happen but if something bad did happen they knew that there would be a space where they could go and seek that help um even just yeah knowing about like protective factors in the sense of condom condoms or prep or you know just making sure that they're having encounters that they feel comfortable and safe in yeah those kind of things um because the likelihood is they are going to have sex at some point so if you give them that door and that information i'd say kind of giving them those kind of yeah those tools and those keys can be like can massively change the trajectory of their whole life actually yeah um so instead yeah you can kind of like you know you may not feel i appreciate people have got different comfort levels of talking about sex probably because of maybe how they were taught about sex or lack of in the Mm. first place but you know at least kind of keeping it as a subject that's on the table means that like someone can come to you and have that conversation um even if nothing bad's happened just to be informed about what to do um and safety netting and all of those things well i think can be really really important it kind of like if it's not talked about then it's only talked about when something goes wrong especially if you are from as we said one of those minorities where you know naturally within your culture sex isn't spoken about it's important to have that outlet of where you can go and say i'm thinking about doing this or this has happened it's so important completely and also like sex is like a very beautiful and like pleasurable thing and shouldn't be kind of 
hidden. You know what I mean? I mean, like, you know, some people, it depends obviously on your friendship groups, depends on your family relationship, on like who you talk with about sex. And some people really want to keep it personal and intimate to themselves. And some people want to like talk to everyone about it as yeah. well. And I'm sure everyone, everyone's quite different about it. But sex is not a bad thing. No. There is like a reason why most people have some form of sexual encounters in it's their life. It's written into our DNA. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So we can ignore like like can you imagine if something as imperative as like food just wasn't talked about and we just all kind of went into a room and just did it whatever, you know, as in like I'm being like a bit ridiculous by saying that, but do you mean but like if there's something that people are thinking about a lot, there's a reason why sex industry is so massive. There's a reason why people have sexual encounters so frequently there's a reason why there's so many apps there's a reason why there's so many events there's a reason why people kind of seek intimacy and so if we're going to completely ignore that then it's ignoring like a massive part of people's identity and their life and i think a lot of people are thinking because if you look on the liberal side of things they think that oh we're having more kind of sexual health clinics people are being more casual with sex people are being more free and almost conservative voices bash that but i think that's completely incorrect because this stuff has always happened mm. and you know we've always had gay people since the beginning of time of course of course we've always had people having casual sex unfortunately it was probably back in the day not as consensual and more from a sad point of view we've always had people who needed help within that space of um sexual pleasure we've always had people consuming porn or you know having self-pleasure it's Mm -hmm. just now that we have a world where that's brought to the front and people don't like it i feel exactly but it's like yeah i think that's exactly what you say i mean it's it's always been there it's not a new invention it's not something that's a new concept like diversity in sexuality diversity in sexual activity diversity in, in gender identity diversity in cultures diversity in human beings has been there since human beings have been there so it's just like and in some cultures you know people were previously a lot more liberal about those things and you know like you say sometimes religion or politics or other things are factored in and they it really shifts with time and with location but there is so much evidence all around the world of like sexual liberation or sex at least in, in slightly different terms um everywhere everywhere yeah. so it's um it's not that people you know human beings existed and then suddenly everyone was like oh don't talk about sex or it can only be heterosexual sex or it can only be sex on this terms these things were all constructs and rules that were made later through society and that doesn't necessarily reflect what human beings are actually like or you know their actual identity you know it's kind of all of these things have been created later it doesn't it's not actually social beings yeah it's completely social that's it i often wonder um why i I can guess from religion but why shame is such a thing about it i I don't get it you know it's something we all do we all take part in but why is there this judgment like beneath oh what is it i I don't know well i I think that's like a massive 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 question in itself isn't it (laughs) it's just like i think it's so many things i think there's like yeah like it's kind of like social constructs like we're saying of what's acceptable and what's not and almost like gender roles gender roles and kind of this kind of like oh well you know the politics of like people you know women are there to 
have children and Creation. men are there to do yeah. this and all these these things are not actually reflective of gender or human beings at all they never have been it's just like that's kind of almost like a way economically in some ways to get you know this is the yeah. role and this is like this person's like in the fields doing the crops this person's feeding the child this person do you mean all of that like extremely like archaic mentality i think it, it absolutely seeps through you can see it everywhere and like of course a lot of people are going to be like oh well, that's comfortable for me but also a lot of people are being like well that's not comfortable for me because we're all different right and so i think it's about kind of just keeping things extremely open and inclusive and then you know definitely like in the work that we do here we let people guide us with what you know how they identify or what kind of sex they're having or what they're doing or what their needs are I don't decide for them and like okay it sounds like you're having this kind of sex so this is what you need to do we keep it open and let them kind of like um you know because their their sexual behavior and what they get from sex changes over time as well Mm. humans aren't one fixed thing so it's about yeah being mindful that people because of all different reasons and experiences of their life and their backgrounds have a different relationship with sex and we need to make sure that we can try and um, provide them advice and care on their terms it's like an open loop and it's really great because no one's here to judge yeah absolutely absolutely even if you wanted to know information you didn't have a problem i guess you could just come in and 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 ask really yeah totally totally because before you have the problems is probably the education that will stop you from having the problems i suppose Mm -hmm. i mean there's always going to be a certain amount of as pessimistic as it sounds pain you have to walk through life with as a human like you have to make mistakes and stuff you know it's important too in lots of ways Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely and i think there's so much stuff online and like as in like resources as well and blogs and reddit and blah blah blah. and there's like don't get me started on reddit (laughs) but there's like there's a lot of accurate good stuff but there's also a lot of nonsense right and it's like it's so difficult to navigate that like i didn't come out of school knowing really anything like like i say i like went to medical school and then specialized in this and now i can be all like like smug or like oh yeah this is what's happening in sexual health and this is what you need to do right or I had to do like quite a lot of years to learn that I didn't come out with any of those tools either so it's not there's no judgment and so I'm not going to expect anyone to come into this building and be like oh you need to know the prevalence of gonorrhea in London or you need to know this and this and this you don't yeah you just need to come here and be a person who says I need some help and advice that's literally what you need to do well let's jump into the like stats um the data yeah so like if we're looking at the uk Mm. what is i suppose your what is the prevalence of gonorrhea and chlamydia in the uk because those are the two most common ones right those are the two most common ones so it's actually changing quite a lot um so over the lockdown period especially the second lockdown period we thought that actually things would go down a little bit but it's increased and increased and increased naughty naughty people (laughs) no it's kind of like it's a bit of a complicated one as to why if i'm honest so sexual health services because they're all so horny because they've been locked up (laughs) because they've been locked up well i think we thought a lot of because obviously finances and loads of people like i'm sorry to interrupt no it's fine i just remember i think it was like one of the like really shitty newspapers i can't remember Mm. it might have been the sun they had pictures of what sex positions you can do to stop yourself from getting COVID. And I just remember seeing this cartoon picture of Doggy 
and I was like just because you're not facing each other <laughs> that, that just they came did ask and... for some like guidance at the time which I think involved like glory holes <sighs> and like things where you're just not going to breathe on people as well and it's like well theoretically then that's less risk as well but it's, it's such a funny vacuum one. bad yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it's like yeah you know have a wank like you, all of these things the COVID saving it was all these like guidelines as well you know? but it's um it's it's been sexual health has been basically a lot of the, like how the funding came through sexual health and the actual funds in itself massively shifted um about 10 years ago so actually a lot of smaller sites um had to close down and were kind of absorbed by bigger sites Mm -hmm. which is fine for the bigger sites in seeing people because they're kind of happy to see people but it means you know people you know in london obviously were quite protected but like say someone was in a slightly smaller city or in a bit of a rural place they might have to like travel after school or get an appointment on a day they're not working to like come into the city and whatever so that really shifts with like who can come into a clinic wherever because of the convenience was taken away from them um the second thing was about like the actual resources so there's been as a kind of um way to like support that there's been a lot of home test kit um home test kits definitely i love a home test kit it's so great they're great and they're really they did lose my blood though oh no (laughs) sorry about that so we've kind of outsourced to a company who do that and we're happy to deal with the results but they are kind of an independent company who do that so that has that has helped quite a lot of that but again it's about access to that at the beginning it was kind of in the bigger cities it's now being rolled out into to some other spaces as well but it's about the accessibility and the convenience of the task because some people are like when am I going to have time to do that as well so it's about kind of like meeting people's needs as well so and the box good. is discreet so yeah. unless unless your mum and dad or someone you know really knows what that box looks like yes they're not gonna know exactly so it's like it's not like the perfect solution for everyone because some people want to ask for some advice or they want to ask for they want to disclose to us that something's happened right so the home test kit isn't always perfect for every single person but for a lot of people when the problem was just coming into a clinic and access and you know getting the tube or getting the train somewhere then that kind of helps a lot of it so it's kind of meeting those people's needs but it's like I said it's about kind of not having a one-size-fits-all because some people might be like actually I'm using a lot of drugs for sex and I want to talk to someone about it or actually this is happening chem sex or like actually my sexual behavior has changed or I've just got out of a big relationship I don't know where I start with like you know having sexual well-being or whatever so they just want to come and have a chat so for those people still come in as well so it's like I said you know it's about being having that flexible model um but yeah I think over going from the COVID point of view so that was kind of the background already and then COVID point of view obviously people like finances shifted so people lost their job or they were furloughed a lot of people were then living in kind of family houses or with friends or they didn't feel like you know you could have like hookups or bring people home basically is what I'm saying because it was like it was a slightly different situation you have to take the car out for a drive exactly exactly (laughs) that right so people's sexual behavior changed in those spaces and also like you said people were like stuck at home and they were just like mental health is a massive massive thing anyway but was horrifically compounded by covid as well so people were like i need to do something that makes me happy right to take away sex from people as well when they're already feeling flat and already feeling low and when that's really important for their well-being and it's like a double whammy it can really like bolster libido either way it can either make you want to shag anything that has a pulse sure sorry (laughs) or it can make you want to just not be near exactly so it's all these things 
coming in together um and like you know also like i said you know covid there's the inequalities in health that i talk about and i do bang on about this all the time because it's my passion about addressing mm. inequalities in health they were already there in every in every field of medicine not just mine um but the covid really exposed those inequalities as well so the people who were underserved were even less served as well so they were getting missed even more and yeah. i think it's this is, i say this a lot it's not about who we're seeing clinics who we're not seeing who's not in this clinic who needs to be seen and how do we kind of get into those spaces and make people feel comfortable and trust us when they've never seen us why would they come to soho and walk into this building or any of our other clinics if they're like well what's going to happen are they going to ask me nosy questions are they going to ask me like talk about things i don't want to talk about and whatever it's a really big thing you can build up um you know like i said language barrier cultural relationships relationships to sex all these things factor and so these inequalities that were kind of decon- like, that were kind of already there were even worse some people working three jobs or they've got childcare, they've whatever so you know in this clinic we open quite early and finish quite late but that still doesn't fit with everyone's single you know every single person's working hours if they're doing nights or they've got to pick up kids after school or whatever so it's about trying to have a flexible model where we're trying to serve everyone but it's absolutely not perfect yet we try and be as inclusive as possible but people have got life going on they've got so many other things going on so to come in you know take an afternoon off work and you know potentially lose pay from doing that and to come and speak to me about their coil or to come and speak to me because they've had a change in discharge or they've got some itchiness or whatever's going on Mm -hmm. can feel like a luxury item when really it shouldn't be but it absolutely can be for some people mental health physical health sexual health all should be treated the same level of importance because actually when you look at the three like you can be in a situation where you can get into a problem and it can be detriment to your health yeah yeah. and i don't people people think i don't think people treat sexual health or even mental health the same way and a lot of them interconnect obviously Mm, mm. but it's interesting with the pandemic i had a bit of a experience where before i had i don't know i was kind of just go with the flow i would have a lot of not a lot but just kind of i wasn't looking for anyone like i had casual sex and mm-hmm, that was a fine mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. as long as like there was protection and we we're okay and we knew what it was that was fine but i found like after the pandemic and this is too much information but this is what this podcast is about i couldn't orgasm i right. couldn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i like i completely lost my i don't know drive to i couldn't do it by myself i couldn't do it with someone and it's only now i've just started being able to get back to it like mm. slowly mm. and it's just so different how people can go in different directions I, I still don't really understand what happened there but anyway no no yeah. sure no thanks for sharing that and it's just you completely like i think that just really like hits the point home doesn't it what you've just said it's just like people like sex is really important for people's mm. for a lot of people's well-being and for their um you know a reflection of our mental health and also what's going on sometimes if we're just like really busy and stressed or like other stuff's going on or we're thinking about other things Mm. is really difficult to get to that like psyche that exactly because yeah sure loads is physical right but there has for a lot of people has to really have that like emotional well-being or that kind of like mental health well-being to get even feel relaxed to get to orgasm do you know what i mean it's, yeah you can kind of like do all the mechanical work and that's working but it just like to take you to that level like your head has to be there sometimes as well yeah. and it's just like it's really yeah it's really difficult isn't it and i think if once it's happened a few times then like the next time you're like 
is it going to happen again? And you're always then thinking about that rather than like allowing it to happen. And you're like, is it going to happen again? Is it going to happen again? And it becomes a thing, right? So it's like, I'm glad that things are like, obviously, you know, getting better. No, definitely. (laughs) But I think that just shows exactly what you just said about how our physical body and our sexual health and our mental health are like, they have to be considered as like an inclusive thing. When we're talking to one person, we can't just be like, oh, right him here's like a dildo off you go like that's not how it works like it has to be everything so i think yeah it's just especially as a woman orgasms like you have to really go on a journey to find out what works for you and what doesn't and as well like you said so many women i think sometimes they probably do get depressed because they can't have the orgasm they feel so expected to have it versus a man who's just like a microwave you can just ping and he's done well, and that's like what ovens. everyone's told right and it, and it's like but men also like you know it's important for them but it's kind of like i suppose any sex education you do get or like not even just from school but kind of like going through life it very much centers like the man's orgasm is like that's when sex is done right i was and about then, to say the exact same thing right it's and, only yeah. considered sex unless the man ejaculates exactly if the woman was to orgasm and the man didn't it's not considered sex because he's not passing on his seed but that discounts anyone who is in a same-sex relationship or non-binary mm. relationship mm. is so dismissive exactly so it's like it's like it's it's continues this like narrative that like sex is heteronormative sex mm. and it centers around someone who is assigned male and identifies as male who has a penis mm. and when they ejaculate that's when sex is done and almost like that's what sex is for i mean heteronormative sex is heteronormative sex it makes a baby sure 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 but also there's different types of sex across the spectrum exactly. you know and it's very accepted if uh, if if someone in that situation if the woman doesn't orgasm that's com- that's very se- accepted it's kind of like that's a luxury item can actually. we actually like stop doing that guys like <laughs> I, I, I don't want to do it anymore like if they're not willing to you know reciprocate the pleasure then get up and walk out exactly. that's what i would say but i did it thing. yeah no, good good <laughs> but this is the thing it's about teaching people about i don't i don't even want to call it alternative narratives i think just human narratives of what it should be that like if you're in a sexual encounter with someone whatever kind of sex that is if it's you know if you're using your genitals if it's anal sex if it's toys if it's oral sex whatever sexual encounter you're having that you're there because it's like you're getting pleasure from it and people get pleasure from giving other people pleasure which is a really wonderful thing but also that they're getting some pleasure from it in some way as well in a way that serves them right it's not like an act of service entirely for someone like i said i appreciate for some people they really enjoy that and that's that is wonderful in its own way but like they have to be like why are you there if you're not enjoying it it's just do you mean like it's just yeah it's but it's kind of like and you're you're completely right definitely without saying out loud if you're kind of like socialized as a female kind of growing through your life it's kind of like this little seed in your head that like you're there to do that for another person ideally a male is kind of what's kind of said without being said and so then when we bring in people's other you know other sexualities if people are um, attracted to people of any different genders or or if they're having any sex that that isn't reflective of that really fixed heteronormative i I don't like using that word because it makes it sound like hetero is normal and everything else is others but do you know what i mean yeah if it's like if it's kind of like if it's any sex that doesn't reflect that then it's like oh 
oh you're doing something else and it's kind of like yeah yeah exactly and i think that adds more stigma because it's like well if you're gonna have sex then do it on the terms that you've been told right working at the clubs i can tell you a lot of things about people and their repressed sexual desires especially the 40 to like 60 or however old like male who comes into the club there's so many things especially they never really got to experience because they thought mm. i have to have this super heteronormative sex and stuff sure, sure um i'm straight and i think i like straight sex i wish i was more exciting i wish i was <laughs> bi but unfortunately i'm not <laughs> but there's so many so many of them have said oh i want to try pegging with my wife but she won't let me oh really yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and like i know you have to take everything with a pinch of salt what they say but there's so many like confessions they make and it's just so interesting that you're gonna live half of your life and not try the things you want to try because mm. you don't feel like you can have an open dialogue with the person you're in a relationship with which is a real shame like in so many and ways that's like, coming from the man as right, well right right like as in i don't want to be over dramatic but in some ways that's a tragedy right because like you're kind of i don't know because they could try pegging for example and be like oh i just liked the idea of it i didn't like it in real life but also they could try it and that unlocks like a whole another element of themselves and a whole another element of pleasure which they've kind of like not permitted themselves to have right so and the woman does need to probably be like welcoming towards that and if they don't want to do it fine but also like you need to try not and judge if your partner says i want to try something i guess completely it's about being it's about being open and also like you know it's it's just keeping that conversation going mm. forever more right because things shift with time and with exposure to things and with experiences people maybe feel that you know oh actually this is all i want this is all i want but then they might be exposed to other things or they might you know research about other things or just feel like they have a concept of something and i think at least having that conversation is like a really positive thing and if if you know your partner or your partners or whoever say actually i don't feel comfortable with doing that then that's fine as well because they should absolutely have the right to say on whatever terms i don't just mean pegging i mean anything but like it's about having opening that door to possibilities right i for some reason i have never and probably will never ever ever let anyone ejaculate onto my face right right i i find it all into my mouth i find it super humiliating to me personally but i can understand people like it and it's for them and it's part of the thing but i say that to guys sometimes and i'm a bit like like are you gonna break up with me because you don't like this thing but no no one's ever broken up with me because i don't like it right exactly but like if you were kind of like you know you were saying like if you kind of let that voice be like oh but i meant to do this and whatever then you'd be doing something that you don't even like do you know what I mean mm. and it's like who are you doing this for like yeah fine you're doing it for the other person but like if you're in this kind of very intimate situation you should at least be doing things that you find pleasurable right so, of, course. of course so yeah it's difficult and so if you kind of put yourself into these fixed terms of like oh but i meant to do that whether i like it or not you end up and this is what i mean about talking to people early about yeah it's it's not like necessarily going to school with like you know with an array of of different toys and the different things and kind of overexposure before people are ready and being like what do you want to use later it's i'm not saying that it's about 
making people feel comfortable to have conversations so when they go on their sexual journey at some point in their life they know that it's okay to talk about things and they know it's okay to explore things um and they know about you know respecting other people's boundaries and they know about like having open conversations with their partners as well as well and working out those things it's not about like telling people this is this is vanilla sex this is kinky sex this is this that's not what i'm saying it's about like this is all sex this sex is like meant to be a pleasurable thing that adds to your life and if it's not there's a problem like as in if you're if you're having sex at all because obviously some people are asexual and it's not an important part of their life but if if people are having sex and it's taking something from them then it's about having those conversations as to why i mean i'd love to get your opinion on this but i think someone said something to me that really resonated into why you choose to have sex and they said make sure you know the intent of why you're having sex Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i think that affects so much of the mental and i really thought about it because sometimes you want to have sex just because you feel a bit lonely and that's fair enough of course it is yeah but it really did help me because unless i really know why i'm having sex and i why i want to have sex with that person it really did like help black out a lot of noise and make it more intentional but would you say that's good advice like be very intentional about why not necessarily well who as well but <laughs> sure why you're having sex sure i think i think there's like a balance with that i think that principle is a really good principle to have like i don't i think if you certainly if you notice that there's like changes into your sexual behavior which can be positive as well but if you notice that there's shifts in things or yeah you're you know you're thinking about sex in a certain way then i think it's good to be like check in with yourself and be reflective as to why that is because it can be a really positive and affirming thing as well but it's also just being like getting to know yourself really well and what you want and what you mm. want from that encounter so that if there was any elements where you felt your behavior or your the sex you're seeking or any you know how you treat yourself or any other people in those encounters if you thought there was even an like a thread of negativity to that to just kind of maybe investigate with yourself why mm. um but i think it can be like a really positive thing because you can also be like oh wow like i'm doing all these things because i'm in a much happier place and it can be a really wonderful thing as well but i think yeah like making sure you're aware of your um intentions and your drive and that you're not just having sex necessarily just because you feel you should or because for the sake of it but you're having sex that you're kind of on a kind of lifelong and it sounds cheesy but like a lifelong discovery of of um exploration even if it's just to say i just want mystery forever just kind of to get to that point of um being like yeah i'm doing what feels right for me which takes time and changes i think if you're investigating what you're doing and why you're doing it that's a really good place to start it's like also when when you choose to have sex with someone it's very rare you'll meet someone who is speaking the exact same sexual language as you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's probably very rare yeah so he he, they might speak spanish and you might speak mandarin but you have to like mesh and meld and you know realize what you're okay with i suppose yeah totally but chinese tapas (laughs) (laughs) and it can be a beautiful fusion yeah absolutely absolutely exactly and you know i think you know people can some people are fine with just self-pleasure but i think there's for a lot of people there's a reason why we bring other people into it right because we can kind of like bounce off things their experiences and what they bring to the table as well and there's there is always space to grow and learn from other things as well so 
we might think that we've got really fixed ideas about what we like and don't like but it can absolutely change and shift um and that kind of fusion that we're kind of like making the story about now um can be really important actually is there any data or science behind people who choose to kind of maybe stay asexual or not participate in sex of that being maybe not beneficial to your overall well-being or abstinence not being the way or is it beneficial like you know um if i'm honest i haven't seen like like a big paper that does like a lot of work about um people who are asexual one of the reasons is because i suppose my field with healthcare that you're not people gonna who are asexual are not <laughs> i mean obviously some people like, there's variations of what asexual means to different people but in general i'm probably not seeing as many people in this building mm. now i'm sure there's lots of papers more from the kind of like sociology and kind of anthropology and kind of studying like the experience wise but i just don't know them mm. um but um i think if I'm going to say a real general point about that, and this is not from papers, but a real general point is that I suppose like some people um, have periods of abstinence, even if they're not asexual, if they have any sexuality, they have periods before of abstinence because they feel that's what they need to do to protect themselves for a period of time. And that can be useful for their mental health, but also for other people, it's really important for their mental health to have lots of sex. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, I <laughs> suppose, kind of exactly what you said. And it's about mm. investigating your intentions and your reasons for being in that encounter mm. um, and your kind of patterns of sex. And, you know, for some people, they use drugs with sex and they feel completely in control of that. And that's completely fine and serves them and they're f- okay. And then other people, they're using drugs with sex um, and it's getting into a situation where they're doing things they don't want to do or they worry about it or it's kind of infringing in other parts of their life or they're turning up late to work or there's like other things so there's a real there you know there's a real balance to a lot of things if you see what I mean it's Mm. not like things are instantly good or bad for people in some ways um it's kind of like people at some phase of their life be like this is absolutely what I need to do to have the sex that makes me happy and for other people they're like I need a complete break from sex in order for me to reset okay suppose when we're looking at sexual health if i'm right the most affected group in terms of stds are people from you know ages 16 18 to 25 Mm, mm. because that's when it's kind of a hotbed and everyone's kind of getting to know each other like like left home or leaving home yeah they've got this new like found freedom and it's kind of like it sounds patronizing but it is kind of that transition from a child to an adult right because you're kind of finding your feet some people going to uni some people have got their first job some people have like you know so you have all these like new things and you know some people are obviously still under their parental home but for a lot of people they're not and you kind of like have this liberation which comes with a lot of mistakes which i think are often important to do actually they're not all yeah you know sometimes it's important to do and that's the right time to do them often as well but um um yeah that you know you know we're not equipped with things as well so like you know our approach to things if like this sounds like a really stupid example but like when i was like 16 if i went on a roller coaster i wouldn't think anything of it and now in my mid-30s i'm like oh it's a bit scary up here and it's a bit we kind of think about things a lot more now and like at that in those moments again i don't want to be patronizing at all but it's like people kind of just tend to just go for things right and they tend yeah. to just be like i'm young nothing's gonna stop me i'm like i'm 
going off and people make it's fun i want to try it so much fun exactly people make good decisions and bad decisions at that time but yeah as a reflection of that and also not being always taught like what to do about it when Mm. when things happen then um like yeah lots of stis get picked up and it doesn't mean anything terrible has happened for that to happen i'm glad people are testing um but a lot of that is also because there's been a lot of focused testing for especially for chlamydia and people um 16 to 25 so it's kind of like people go into schools and unis and talk about it and give out free packs and go into those spaces and club nights and all of these things because people don't always know about where their closest sexual health clinic is or what they need to do or what happens if the condom breaks or where to get condoms from or whatever so a lot of that has happened because there was a big government initiative to kind of go into those spaces so so the rates of chlamydia and gonorrhea but particularly chlamydia are high in that age bracket um but it doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong it's like we know we need to find it so we go there to find it as well um and then our behavior and our approach to sex and then kind of getting through that period and being like well actually this is the sex i want to have that that kind of often comes a bit later um and i'd hope that people by that point know about sexual health testing or not but they don't always like even like my mum was talking to me about this years ago when i'm like you know i'm starting this work out and she was like but don't you only need to go when something goes wrong and i was like no like you know like i don't i mean my mum like i'm glad that she like even said that to me Mm. as well but like she she was like oh i thought you meant to go like when you're like unwell right because a lot of other remits of healthcare you go and go to the gp if something's wrong you only go to see a doctor because there's a problem right it's preventative exactly exactly whereas in and you know people obviously understandably see us as a medical service because we are but like people don't always realize that you know there's a lot of stis that are asymptomatic much more likely if you're someone with a vagina than someone with a penis as well so people might have a sexual infection not realized for some time um so if you're having any unprotected sex and i always say irrespective of relationship status because i'd be a hypocrite not to and be like oh i'm sure you know you don't know what's happening um in any relationship right so i even say to people i'm like if you're in a closed relationship or if you're married or whatever like i'd like at least just once a year do a quick checkup i know i'm completely polarized into sexual health yeah and for other people they're like why do i need to do that or whatever but like and if you have suspicions do a test do a test and if you're having like more frequent partners in every three to six months you know whatever suits you depending on the kind of sex you're having who the partners are as in like you know um and what yeah what's going on and when your last check was and what's going just like just keep a check on yourself and one of my best friends who's a public health doctor he said a really a phrase that i love when he just said don't put your health into other people's hands but keep your health in your own hands right because you only get one you only get one life exactly yeah and so i think yeah for that reason yeah like i said i i appreciate that people have life and they have so much stuff going on and fitting this in around like so many other things and i'm doing this and i'm doing this and i'm doing this and i've got to go to work and some people have got childcare and some people have got to like care for people and they've got all this life going on but if you can just do that one thing for yourself i think it can like be like a lot of relief as well about things building up mm. you don't just need to come to us because actually i'm in a crisis please do as well but like if just in general like your sexual health is is a part of your general health and it's part of your well-being as a person so it's just be normalized so to people who are quite dismissive of getting tested 
why is it so important to get tested if you can explain to them mm. in the most important and stark way? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. If you want to talk about for yourself, one, you kind of know where you stand and you know what's going on and mm. what's not going on, which is which is like helpful in itself. From the physical point of view, then, like I said, some infections in particular for people... Is it okay if we break them down, like the basic ones, one by one? Yeah, so chlamydia and gonorrhea um, in particular, if if they are... So for gonorrhea, for example, in someone with a penis, 90% of those would get picked up because they tend to get symptoms quite quickly. But that still means 10% wouldn't um, from just symptoms. Mm -hmm. And then for people with vaginas, then it's kind of like about half would get picked up from people coming in because they've got symptoms um which means that there's half of people who if they didn't come in to get tested without symptoms they wouldn't know about it and for both of those if they are left for a while and i say while because that is quite a range for some people it's a few months for some people it can be years it can cause a lot of inflammation in the reproductive tract so um in the urethra which is like the tube where the urine comes out um and also like in the like the um tubes that come out of the testicles but also like in people with vaginas in like their actual kind of uterus fallopian tube areas as well it can cause a lot of inflammation and sometimes scarring so one thing with that is that it can decrease your fertility but the other thing is that people can get a lot of symptoms and discomfort and it may be from chlamydia or gonorrhea that they've got several years ago that they haven't tested mm. because they didn't think they needed to because they didn't have a problem like as regards symptoms but if that was nipped in the bud it would avoid all of those long-term problems which can be quite complex to manage and blindness so chlamydia if it's like in your eyes you tend to get you tend to get like a discharge like an eye infection so you would probably notice that um but you can get quite yeah like quite a stingy eye infection which can be quite uncomfortable and there's kind of rarer things that can happen with chlamydia in particular so you can get kind of like this um, is why i don't let them do it on my face (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so you shouldn't go blind as such but you can get like a nasty eye infection but yeah there's other things that are a bit rarer like i say but you can get like um like a form of arthritis which can be treated but it can take a long long time Mm. but you can have lots of stiffness and achiness and pain in your joints um and yeah i have this like even after it's treated then you can still have quite a lot of inflammation like i said in the urinary system and the um the reproductive tracts as well so you can have like yeah it's basically just better to avoid it because a lot of the time chlamydia just needs a week of antibiotics and off you go and it's you can get it orally vaginally or from the penis anally eyes yeah yeah like yeah any hole basically any any hole is chlamydia's exactly um so yeah and it's just something that's like if you were getting a check you may not be expecting to see chlamydia but we're like well we found it and then you just nip it in the bud before it becomes a problem it's like what you've seen before it's about prevention it's not just about there's an issue and let's resolve it what about this sorry no it's fine okay what about super gonorrhea i've heard about this super gonorrhea so there it doesn't sound so super <laughs> so super basically there's something called i'll tell you about base so there's something like that's kind of called a super chlamydia and that just basically is a different version of chlamydia which we can still treat really well but it, the symptoms um 
are a lot more severe. So people, if it's in the bum, they get a lot more swelling, irritation, discharge. Um, they can get like, you know, your lymph nodes, you know, like your glands, like when you've got a cold, like you can feel them under your chin and stuff. You can like your groins and all your, your glands around there can get really quite swollen and like you can get a lot of symptoms and a lot of breakdown of kind of the skin and the tissues as well. Mm. So that's if it's left for a while. So you do tend to get symptoms of that. That one is treatable. Um, but it just needs a longer course of antibiotics. Because I heard when I first heard about it is that it, you're never getting rid of it, but you can treat it. So yeah, so that's this that's the super chlamydia, but the super gonorrhea um, is basically we used to treat gonorrhea with tablet antibiotics, mm. and gonorrhea has mutated and continued to mutate. And that's why point. we need to wrap up. Sure. And so the tablets that we used to use are a lot of the time gonorrhea is resistant to it and it depends in different areas obviously everyone travels and everything but like in certainly the forms that we tend to see in england which is obviously not england exclusive it's not that if you get a plane and go somewhere else it, the gonorrhea is gonna like not respond to doing is it, you know we travel but like the 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 main gonorrheas we see now here in this society and and definitely in london are a lot of them are resistant to those tablets so we give an injection Mm-hmm. but there is super gonorrhea which is some forms of gonorrhea which is resistant to that injection that we standardly give okay. there is treatments that can still be given but it's about preventing that i suppose more complex form of gonorrhea from becoming a mainstream gonorrhea because then eventually it sounds ridiculous but if it kept mutating and like the tablets don't work now the injection in the bum doesn't work we would have to go to much stronger antibiotics probably mm. through the vein um and for that reason you know would we have to get a gonorrhea ward would we have to get like do you know what I mean and it was so it's about which we're not at now how are but, we how are we stopping super gonorrhea then what do we need to do to prevent it <laughs> to prevent it so it's about coming in and testing and knowing that you have gonorrhea and us giving you some treatment of the ones that work now okay. um if we so every single case of gonorrhea that we see here we send for an additional test called a culture because we just want to really make sure which antibiotics work for it and which don't yeah so we can kind of keep track about what the populations of gonorrhea are like responding to so we can control it as much as possible but also if someone did have a form of gonorrhea where the tablets and the injections that we offer here didn't work we would see what does work so we can just give them that treatment mm-hmm. um and we also say for people who have been diagnosed with gonorrhea if they could abstain for sex from sex for one week um so that they don't reinfect people um once they have treatment do you have to throw away your sex toys if you've had chlamydia or gonorrhea you can just use sterile wipes okay yeah. i personally would throw it away would you <laughs> yeah. you don't you don't have to especially if they're expensive bad but memories make sure you really clean that properly <laughs> i mean clean them anyway right but like yeah make sure it's definitely definitely cleaned up okay because you can pass gonorrhea and chlamydia through sex toys so syphilis mm-hmm. syphilis how, how do you get it how do you get rid of it uh, what's the consequences of it so syphilis it's on the rise syphilis is also on the rise um syphilis is a funny one so they call like it used to, well it still is sometimes called the great pretender because it can kind of present as anything in lots of ways but we'll break it down so syphilis is i like, heard it's something pirates used to get 
yeah yeah exactly and people sometimes people think of it as like yeah like that kind of story or like the victorian times mm. and they're like what i got syphilis sounds old old-fashioned syphilis is relatively common um we're definitely seeing increasing cases like you're saying and i think the thing with syphilis is that it's actually quite easy to get um so if someone's if someone's got syphilis especially kind of in earlier stages then it's pretty infectious so you can get syphilis from oral sex mm. um it's kind of prolonged contact which is what happens in in sex so kind of mm like body contact um so you with syphilis the state it comes in like there's so there's different stages of it basically so some people don't even notice the first stages but some people get like um like a little what we call a shanker which is kind of like it tends to be a painless ulcer on the genitals in the bum in the mouth wherever they've had sexual contact and because it's painless often but not always people don't tend to notice it so if you had like a sore in your bum that wasn't sore you may not be looking you know squatting over a mirror to see it but they're really really infectious and that's one of the early stages of syphilis that after a couple of weeks tends to go away so some people have come into us by that point like oh i've got this thing what is it and then we've sorted them out but often people don't notice that and it goes away and then they kind of get what we call secondary syphilis so they tend to get um again some people don't notice it or they think they've got a cold but some people get quite rashy and Mm. you get a rash like kind of like flat kind of blotchy rash on your hands on your feet like so that's how you know it's quite different because it's on your palms and your soles some people get on their chest on their legs on their back on like anywhere basically um and they sometimes feel a bit feverish again your glands are up um but some people might be like oh i've just got a nasty flu and they may not get a really obvious rash as well so that's kind of the next stage of syphilis again that does go by itself but often if people do get symptoms they come in at that point um but this is why it's important to test because people may not notice that any of these things happening they're sometimes subtle what's the course of medication after diagnosis yeah so if someone has got what we call so someone's got the earlier stages of syphilis and definitely if we think that it's within it's happened within the last two years which again is why it's important to test so basically we have this cut off at two years if it's been longer than that we think we need to give a slight more intense treatment Mm. because it's been in the system potentially longer so just to get into all of the tissue so if it's been less than two years um so if someone's coming every three to six months we know oh they were negative six months ago now it's positive right so we covered there it's a it's a one-off injection one each side um of um a form of penicillin called benzyl penicillin Mm -hmm. um if someone's allergic to penicillin then we've got tablets um that i've not got penicillin in which we would give um but for a, a longer course if someone has got syphilis and we think that it's been for over two years then we give that same injection but um for three weeks weekly mm-hmm. and um so that's what we call like it's called we call it late latent syphilis but it just means we can't prove that it was within the last two years so we give a bit of extra just to cover and then after those stages there's there's so there's um syphilis can be um affect organs of the body um so some people can notice that it affects heart it can affect lungs it can affect loads of things now this is really rare because it's often if syphilis has been there for like a decade or more but you know some people 
um you know definitely i remember like being on the ward multiple times where people have been like this person's come in and they're in their 80s and we've done like you know a scan uh, a scan so we've done a blood test because of they were a bit confused i'll get to the confused bit in a second um and it turns out like they've got this marker for syphilis like they could have got it in the 50s and so it's like is it related is it not like they've been married to the same person for a long time or you know like what's going on there as well so at that stage then you would like you know you would be like what else is going on or have they had syphilis in the past and been treated and if their partners died they can't get answers exactly and so it can make this real mess because syphilis even interpreting the results it's very time dependent and we really rely on people to tell us when they've had sex and for us to work it out and then there's another stage of syphilis which can come at any stage actually so you know i'm saying all of these kind of in time order but there's something called neurosyphilis which is means that the syphilis can directly affect the nerves sometimes people get um like something called tinnitus so they get ringing in their ears Mm. sometimes they get some hearing loss sometimes they get changes to vision sometimes they can get confusion sometimes they can get um changes in like um feeling um so like their sensitivity but also kind of like in their movements as well if it was like very severe sometimes people just notice like a really bad headache and they're like i've had this headache for ages i don't know what's happening so for that reason if we think that they have um syphilis that might have affected their nerves we have to give a different type of penicillin and it's like a prolonged course for a couple of weeks um every day okay as well as some tablets as well um and some steroids at the beginning so that because the syphilis sometimes basically has a bit of a tantrum when you treat it so if they for example were losing their vision because of syphilis and it has a tantrum it can make things worse before better so we give a type of medication called a steroid to kind of cool that down yeah a little bit before giving it so it can be really complicated so syphilis can be like i've got this little mark like on my bits and it's nothing and we just give you some treatment and off you go or we get no symptoms or it could be I've lost my hearing, my vision. Do you know what I mean? It's and it's everything in between. So it's it is increasing. We're seeing some cases of syphilis in pregnancy now. We're seeing we, you know, because you get tested as well and it can affect babies if it's not treated. So it's not like it can be like like I say, nothing, or it can be like really life changing actually. How is it passed on, sorry? So through like so if someone was pregnant with a baby, it can be passed through that way. And to the baby, yeah. And just with sexual partners. And sexual partners, it's like prolonged contact. So oral sex, any kind of genital sex, anal sex as well. Through fluids or skin? So it tends to be like if there's like a lot of... So it's quite infectious. It's kind of like, I suppose, kind of a bit both actually really. Because it's like the contact with the fluids, if that makes sense. Yeah, so the fluids are going to go anywhere they want to go, really. But it's kind of, you do need need to have a bit more prolonged contact. But if we say kind of statistically, if someone's got infectious syphilis if you're it depends on the kind of contact but there's a kind of a 30 to 40 percent chance of picking it up okay if you have if you're a sexual contact with them so it's like like i said it's, i'm not saying this to like freak everyone out about syphilis but it's more just a case because it's absolutely things that can be done about it no, but, but it's, it's better to not have syphilis than to have yeah. syphilis and if you have syphilis it's better to just come in and have yeah. a test and we know what we're doing and we give you some treatment and off you go but you know for like i say like i say because they call it the great pretender because it can present in so many ways some people are like oh my hearing's a bit muffled i'm having to turn the tv up they'll go and see someone about their ears right yeah. and by the time they eventually get to us it's been a few months it's, it's too long so if it's like keeping you know and sometimes it can be your ears of course it can but you know and it's nothing to do with syphilis but like if you've just done that one thing as well like done that sexual mm. health test you know where you stand well 
the next one hepatitis which one which one is the sexual one i can't remember you can get hepatitis through sexual contact b um hepatitis b and c and a a yeah. b and c sorry i don't know where it said that predominantly predominantly that's the ones that we think of b is there's no vaccination uh, b there's a vaccination for sorry so you can so you can so if you're kind of like it doing, says i'm not immune on my std test okay so like definitely so for people who are considered as having potential sexual risk so you know if people are having like lots of different partners for men who have sex with men like for there's like kind of criteria then you can have a vaccination course for hepatitis c there's no vaccination for it but we tend to test um but people can also get it through um injecting drug use from kind of um sharing like notes and straws um like they're cocaine doing cocaine. Poss- yeah cocaine it's more just because you know it kind of cuts your nose a little bit so yeah. it's like there's like little tiny of what we call like micro bleeds so there's tiny little bits of blood there if that makes sense and if you're sharing it it may not be that you've had a massive nosebleed but there is like virus there if that makes sense if, yeah. you, if someone had it um but yeah sometimes people have it and they clear it themselves with hepatitis c there are treatments for it that clear it mm-hmm. but there just isn't the vaccination before to prevent it yep um hepatitis a tends to be something that people get so some people can get that like nothing to do with sex you can get it from like food poisoning as well um it's yeah but they they say like fecal oral route so basically if there's like any like gut bacteria that's kind of entered your mouth okay we do vaccinate in people who are high risk in the sense of having like um you know someone who's been um diagnosed hiv or someone who's um got any pressure on their immune system and we'll definitely check the hepatitis a um immunity a lot of people have had it and got through it and it's fine they might have just had a bit of food poisoning or something like i say and they're immune to hepatitis a onwards um but for other people who haven't been then we would do vaccinations for them if they were high risk um but most people's immune systems are fine to just push through it and they wouldn't need to I think the neck is like the whole list of all the STDs. There's one that I'm particularly interested in. That sounds weird more than the rest, but it's HPV. Oh yeah, yeah, good one. Because yeah. from if that is that kind of like herpes. No, so herpes is HSV. So let's start with the HPV yeah. and then the other one and then what's the difference between the two because i understand hpv actually a lot of people have it yes so hpv is something called human papillomavirus and about 70 to 80 percent of people in the uk have been in contact with some form there's over 100 types of it Mm. some types cause nothing some types completely clear by themselves and don't do anything or some don't clear but they don't do anything and some types can cause warts and some types can cause um, abnormal cells, which can then go on to cause some causes of cancer. So that's so, why you get your smear. Exactly. So for the smear, they now test to see if there's HPV and and then to see if there's any of the types that can cause those abnormal cells. So if you were found with HPV, it doesn't mean you have cancer, but it can be some of the types can make you at a higher risk of cancer, if that makes sense. So it's about the screening and the monitoring. And so, will it disappear over time, your HPV cells? Some of the types do. 
some of the types do so they mo- some of the types you just need to monitor and you're fine and if you see anything abnormal then you do something some types you burn some of those cells off and then you would do another smear maybe in another year depending on on what's going on um and some types yeah things have cleared and you're okay so it really kind of depends now there's they rolled out vaccinations initially just for people who were girls at school um with the thoughts that that would protect from that would protect everyone mm. but not everyone has sex with girls funnily enough um and so they they are like rolling it out for boys and for other different groups so we in but in if we have the vaccination of girls who are meant to not have this hpv then why are there so many people with hpv so the vaccination the, didn't work then the vaccination only covers against some types Okay. So the type, the initial one that came out, it was four types. So it was the two most common types that cause warts and the two most common types that cause these abnormal cells. We're now using one in not every clinic, but most clinics that um, cover nine types. But it's not everyone. I mean, I was the year above. I missed it at school. I wasn't eligible. I got the jabs. You got the jabs. So I was in, I started secondary school in 2001 and it wasn't a thing until a couple of years after that in my school and I remember I was the year above mm. so I missed it so like I'm not ancient like I'm in my mid-30s and people who are my age and above wouldn't have got it unless they got it privately Could you? So, yeah. but you can't go and get it for free now no you'd have to go privately unless you met the criteria so men who have sex with men can like have it um up until um 45 um and like people who are like I mean, I don't want to say this term high risk in a stigmatizing way, but people who are having like lots of partners, like in the form of work or in form of like other things as well. Then or just variation. Variation, exactly. Yeah. But if not, then it's like you would have to get it privately, right? So, but the, you know, for people who are younger than me, a lot of people would have been vaccinated, but it's against those types. So it's not against every single type of HPV. Like I said, mm. there's over 100, but it's against the types that would be most likely to cause problems but it's not a big worry to be if you do have hpv so i wouldn't worry about just hpv in itself it depends what types yeah and it depends what you're having if you've got a type that's caused warts that's a different type than that's what's going to cause abnormal changes that you're going to see on your smear okay um and the abnormal changes can also happen in penile tissues and anal tissues as well and throat um so it's not just about smears it's just if you had any symptoms or signs of anything that you're worried about then just come in and get it checked out i'm just conscious of time so i want to get through them all um so herpes herpes so that's something called hsv herpes simplex virus so that tends to be painful ulcers they're not always painful but again herpes is like so anyone with a cold sore has herpes that's a type of herpes okay so there's herpes type one which tends to be thought of as like mouth herpes, if that makes sense. So like, you know, you could have a four-year-old running around a playground who's got a cold sore and that doesn't mean any sexual contact happened. That's just like a very common thing. It's again, it's from kind of like fluids or contact with that cold sore, with that blister. And then there's herpes type two, which is tends to be thought of as genital herpes, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit more aggressive and you tend to get flares a bit more frequently. Um, But actually most genital herpes is still type one because people you know because oral sex basically so as much as as much as herpes type 2 is thought of as downstairs and herpes is upstairs but there's of course overlap 
Um, herpes is something that is extremely common. Like there's about, again, about 70% of the population have come in contact with herpes, but not everyone gets a symptom. Yeah. So some people, their immune system just kind of suppresses it down. They never get a cold sore upstairs or downstairs. And some people, they get them quite frequently. Um, and it's often one of those things that kicks you when you're down. So when there's lots of other things going on that's putting pressure on yeah. your immune system, then that's when it gets you. Um, it is something that is manageable with antivirals, antiviral tablets. Um, and some people just need those tablets for a short course now and again, if they're having a sore, especially if it's on the genitals or in the bum. Um, but it tends to get less frequent with time and less painful with time, but it never goes away completely. So it's about managing that sore with those tablets if people are getting it very frequently then we can give them a longer course of tablets to kind of just try and um to prevent the virus from kind of being awake and multiplying um and causing them grief basically over that period of time did they need to disclose that with a new sexual partner so we say to avoid transmission then to avoid sexual contact when you have a sore and for about a week after it's completely healed over because that's when you're at your most infectious now there's in theory you can what we call um shed a little bit of virus in between so the virus kind of gets a little bit awake goes back to sleep a little bit awake goes back to sleep um but there's if you haven't got any active active signs then we wouldn't say you necessarily and you're not getting lots of flares sorry we wouldn't say there's there's additional precautions you need to take unless the only the the main situation is if that partner is um pregnant and has never had herpes before okay so getting herpes for the first time in pregnancy can be dangerous but like i said most people whether they know it or not have come in contact with herpes okay so it's it's actually only about 30 percent of people who haven't come in contact with herpes okay so to, to confine people to change their sexual behavior at their less infectious times is a bit much if you see what I mean. yes it's a lot scale of things so when you're it's about being sensible um and it's about not adding extra sigma to be like oh my goodness there's something horrifically wrong with you and you need to do all these steps it's about being sensible and being like when you're likely to be infectious please take extra precautions ideally avoid sex at that time um and definitely for a week until after it's completely healed over um condoms as well definitely over that time if you absolutely can't avoid sex but really it's about avoding transmission where possible okay if that makes sense because especially because there's different types so someone might have one type and not another as well so it's about being considerate of your partners in that way exactly um and the last one i guess to kind of really speak about is hiv sure um i've done an interview with the terence higgins trust and and they have this goal of eradicating it um in 10 years um tracking down the remaining people with the virus who mm-hmm. are undiagnosed not yes. on prep and stuff but what is the virus just so people know how can they prevent it who's at risk and what is prep and all that okay how long how long do you have to uh, <laughs> how long do you have it it's... okay let me try and do a whistle stop to hiv okay. so hiv is a virus <laughs> again there's different types of hiv um but it tends to be contracted through um, bodily fluids whether that be bisexual contact or um, um, the other kind of classic thought I suppose is um, through sharing needles with injectable drug use but it can also be contracted um, during pregnancy to the baby well that's a very 
um, much less common these days with good treatments. So HIV virus in itself, it basically in kind of simplistic terms goes into the cells of our own immune system and um and causes compromise to them so it so it puts pressure on our immune system um by invading our actual cells if it's um in beginning stages um then um you know by starting on treatments and we have really good treatments now a lot of people are on one or two tablets a day and they carry on with their life and it's not about what treatments will work it's about what treatments people will feel well on and it's not a death sentence not at all not at all so people have a normal life expectancy as in um especially if hiv is you know tested for and they start on treatment relatively soon and it's fine if someone has hiv for a, a long time and that can be variable but it can be you know many years actually it can be several years then it can put compromise on their immune system to the level where it makes them makes it easier for them to get other infections um and those other infections because their immune system is not able to fight in the way it normally would can be quite overwhelming without other supportive treatments and this is the transition to aids to aids exactly so some people say about catching aids there's no such thing as catching aids you catch hiv virus and if it's left untreated for whatever reason because you didn't know or because you weren't on treatment for one way or the other that can develop into something called aids and how does prep play into all of this so prep is a medication um it's a combination of two medications that were used to treat hiv but in this context it's used so if any hiv virus enters the body the aim is for it to stop it in its tracks so it never becomes an infection that is in your body and in your immune system um and it depends on the kind of sex you're having so for anal sex you can take it every day or you can take it what we call event-based so you would um double dose tablets between two and 24 hours before you have sex so it takes a little bit of preparation so i say people like if you know you might um, have a hookup with someone later or you might go to a party or you might go something while you're getting ready you normally have two hours notice before you're going to physically have sex at least right so you take two tablets between two and 24 hours before and then you take one tablet every every 24 hours for every day that you have sex then when you when you stop and you're like not going to have sex anymore then for two further days so 24 hours in so one one basically for two further mm-hmm. days and if you're like oh i actually did have sex that day you just extend that two days to after that if you see what i mean so for some people that works better for them because they might say well you know i'm working a lot of the time or i'm with my um partner for my most of the most of the time and i'm not using prep in a mm. daily basis but for certain events or for certain parties or for certain things get situations in life then they want event-based prep and that works better for them rather than taking a tablet every day for other people they take it every day because they that gives them a bit more liberation about spontaneity about when they are having sex for vaginal sex the only option just because the tissues are a bit different is taking it every day okay and I think as well women don't realize how at risk they are of HIV and they think it's just a gay thing between men as well for sure um which is like it's not that's not right and like our our tissues are at the front and at the back are different um in sense of like a vaginal tissue being different from a anal from anal tissue but the kind of the some of the underpinning things why anal sex can be a higher risk of acquisition of hiv is more just about the actual tissues in themselves but also it's a bit more likely to bleed if that makes sense so there's a bit more exposure for like ejaculate to blood 
Okay. Um, but there's no, there's, you know, vaginal sex, anal sex, they're not zero risk. It's just about looking at your risk and kind of if you had any questions about any of those things and you just even wanted to talk through it, then, you know, there's, um, I want prep now is a really good website or come and have a chat with us. Also preps to do some incredible work about exposure with, um, prep as well. So check their website out as well. Um, so yeah, it can be a really liberating thing, either lifelong or in certain phases of life for people to have prep. There's also something called PEP, which if you're within 72 hours of when you've had a potential exposure to sex, so say you had sex and then you're like, oh, actually, I think that that person was at high risk of HIV or I was worried about HIV. Again, come and have a chat with us because there's things we can do afterwards as well. Yeah. Um, but HIV in itself is um, is something that from the medical point of view is much, much more manageable now. So like I say, people have a normal life expectancy. Sometimes people actually have a, like a slightly, I know it sounds strange, but a slightly better life expectancy because we're seeing them for the rest of their life. And so we pick up if they got the early stages of diabetes, of high blood pressure, of high cholesterol. So they're yeah. coming to see us. So they only see me once a year, probably, um, sometimes even less than that. But we do their bloods every six months and so we pick up all these things right so they're you know they're having that mot as well so hiv is not this you know there used to be these adverts in the 90s about tombstones and about uh, yeah. the death sentence or whatever that is not the face of hiv of, of what it is now from the medical point of yeah. view hiv there there is a lot of inequity in healthcare in general so some places are poorer served with hiv testing and provisions yeah. than we are in this very privileged position in london but from the medical point of view the the medicines exist and the blood tests and the checks to keep people well yeah. the problem is stigma stigma so yep. people don't get tests because they don't want to know because they're scared of the answer because of all the stigma what it might mean about judgments from people um about kind of oh i'm someone who has this you know diagnosed dirty all of this yeah. horrific completely unhelpful and completely untrue stuff there's not many people in the world who haven't had unprotected sex at some point in their life it, and so it you know it's so i don't really think many people have a any position to judge anyone and it's also completely unhelpful to do that if it was if hiv is normalized as a chronic condition which is exactly what it is um which is manageable i think you know as much as we we're trying to get to zero not because we're scared of people dying from hiv just because we have so many steps that can prevent hiv and that no one needs to be at risk of it if you see anymore anymore so we've got prep we've got pep also people who are living with hiv the majority of people are means that the are on treatments that are so good that the the levels of the virus are so low which we call undetectable that they have zero percent chance of transmitting that virus onto someone else so they can have any sex that they want and that kind of stress and tension and worry about transmitting to other people is taken away so if someone's been on treat on on antiretroviral treatment so the hiv treatment for six months um, they're taking their tablets every day and they've had um, blood tests to show that they the virus is so well suppressed that it meets the undetectable criteria. Um, I won't bore you with the numbers, but we will tell people when they come in. Then they have zero chance of transmission and it's not low, it's zero. So that person is not a risk to other people. So even Zero is a very rare number to get as well. Right. So even if someone is feeling well and do I need to take these tablets every day it's another incentive that they are not just 
you know, protecting themselves from the virus getting worse and developing into something that can affect their health, but they're also protecting partners. So, you know, in in lots of centres, people are um, on treatment for themselves, but also for other people. Yeah, we've got prep, we've got PEP, we've got like you know home test kits, so people can know their status. We've got all this accessibility, and people can come into our clinics and talk to us about it. And like I said, there's amazing community organisations like Prepster who are doing lots of targeted work in about communities where prep isn't reaching yep. um, and all the testing isn't reaching because that's where we still need to go there still are people being diagnosed with HIV now because they didn't know about prep and pep mm-hmm. and so kind of with this aim of we're trying to get transmissions to zero it's because we have all of these things put in place but not everyone knows about them and not everyone has access to them in the world so, so spread yeah. the message exactly mm-hmm. but the the potential for there to be no HIV transmissions is real real okay Mm. well that's a really good place to end it i feel um i suppose my last kind of question is what is the main thing we think we need to really kind of work on in terms of what would help the nhs and the bash sector in maybe cutting down work that people can take into their own hands um in terms of protection or you know what can we do to help you guys oh gosh okay so i think i think the first thing is like don't be afraid to talk to us there are resources so there's nhs resources bash has got some resources on there um shl who do the home test kits in london have got some um, information on their website etc about kind of signposting but um i think it's about kind of taking those steps to have comfort with having these conversations in the, yeah. world, in the first place i think the more stigma stigma there is and people using really loaded and unhelpful terms like clean and dirty which is just should be completely um, banned from society yeah. and just don't help anyone and isn't actually scientifically accurate in any way um so i think you know wash their dirty mouth out exactly exactly so i think if people kind of normalize having these conversations sharing information with their friends talking to like you know people who have either got expertise or can at least signpost them to resources that can be validated rather than just online um like i said there's a lot of good stuff there but kind of navigating through it can be an issue um and talking about these conversations opening up getting tests not being afraid to get tests and all those kind of things and you know I think just you know normalizing it is what I'm trying to say is a big step. Okay, and more condoms, <laughs> more condoms where needed, more okay. condoms where needed. Yeah. Okay. Um, where can people um find the clinic um and online? What's the points of contact if they want to come here? Um, so we've got our website, the Fifty Six Dean Street website, has got a lot of resources and information on there about booking um into clinics and into our different services and when to do home test kits when not etc and um yeah about prep and pep and also hiv care um but yeah as a director like i said we've got clinics in hammersmith and uh, we've got the john hunter clinic in chelsea and we've also got one in west middlesex as well they're kind of our main sites so whichever one's most convenient then we all um, we will work as one team okay amazing um thank you so much you're so so welcome thank you for having me no no you're very very welcome i hope that was even slightly useful i think everyone will find something really useful in here and as i said the point of this is to make sure 
the information is accessible to people and they don't feel scared to speak thank you for listening to sexonomic if you want to follow us on any of the social links they are in the bio um in the description section thank you for now bye bye